Welcome to It's Pronounced Memoir, a podcast where we read and discuss celebrity memoirs and mispronounce memoir and nearly every author's name. Today we discuss Andrew Ridgely's Wham, George Michael and Me, a memoir. I'm Ann Immig. <laughs> And got roped into this podcast and sang Memoir by my co-host, Mariana Olenko and Wendy Ahrens. Please tell me what has been the theme of your week, ladies, and feel free to describe it in one word with an exclamation. P-L-O-P, plop. And I immediately I think plop, plop, fizz, yeah, fizz. Oh, yeah. what a relief it is. I'm not feeling well, so I just walk around and plop, and then I get up and I plop again. <laughs> evocative imagery. <laughs> I'm sorry that Wendy's not feeling well. Is it something age-related? No, it's uh, sinuses, well, old sinuses. But oh. thanks for thanks for asking if I have a goiter. <laughs> <laughs> Plop. <laughs> Mine is arthritis. My big news is that I have arthritis in my jaw, which is a place I didn't know was arthritisable. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing about it is when I tell people about it, as I do throughout the day, I explain to them that I can open my mouth like this, like a baby bird, but not like this, like a hippopotamus. And that just exacerbates both my arthritis and my relationship with those people. I'm going to make us a triple threat and tell you that my word is flash. Less is in <laughs> flash Gordon and more is in hot flash. <laughs> Before we get into a highly intellectual discussion with a lot of chronology, what are your first wham memories? Freedom with a lot of supermodels that probably have arthritis now. <laughs> I was a huge, I think they're called whamimals. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, was, I didn't go to the meetings or anything, but. But you had the hair. I did have the hair. Thank you for calling out my perm. But I, I loved Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, and that set me off on my wham path. Somehow, still on. even though I read the book and have watched multiple interviews and documentaries, I missed whamamoles. <laughs> Maybe that was just in North Dakota. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> most likely, most likely. You know, wake me up before you go-go, the video for sure. But my most evocative memory, sorry, Andrew Ridgely, was I Want Your Sex. I can picture being at Edgefest. Excuse was, me? Oh, you heard me. <laughs> I was at this carnival called Edgefest and they had that spinning Gravitron, which blared out music and it was blaring. I want your sex. And it felt like probably the coolest moment of my adolescence. And were you in high school then? What is your yeah. vintage? Yeah, I was in high school. So when, so wake me up before you go, go. I was in grade school, like elementary school. Oh my, oh my God. God. I'm just a tiny little baby having hot flashes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember loudly singing I Want Your Sex with a group of friends at a fraternity party, which was just really savvy and a uh, smart move. Oh, gosh. 
I have a lot of fun planned for you today. You could tell, by the way, I said it, that it was going to be fun. I have a lot of fun fun. planned for you today. (laughs) (laughs) So these British words or expressions are taken directly from the book. And I'm going to quiz you and see if you know what they mean. Okay. The first one is swish. Yeah. Mouthwash. Mariana, do you have any guesses? Is it like a move with hips? No, it means like campy or like, it's like actually kind of derogatory, effeminate, like that swish. Oh. Next one, knackers. Oh, underpants. That's knickers. I wondered if that would happen. Boobs. Is it boobs? Close. They're they're a match set on a body. (laughs) That's knockers. (laughs) Not knockers, not knickers. Knackers. They are a flesh colored set but the male gonad balls like door knackers (laughs) except it's usually just one (laughs) but this comes at a part in the book where they're filming last christmas george michael ends up in this sequence where it looks like he gets hit in the knackers with a snowball okay (laughs) faffing about faffing what's faffing about Swishing. I would rather not say. (laughs) It's doing unimportant things when you're supposed to be doing other things. Like quit faffing about and get serious about this podcast, Wendy. Oh, oh, (laughs) that's now it's been defined. Okay. Finally, cock-ups. What are cock-ups? Mistakes? Can you spell that word? Please? Yes. Ding, 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 ding. What is Ooh. mistakes? Mistakes. Are oh, is it mis- like errors? I was going to say yeah. errors. The, Wendy got it right. Wendy yes. gets the prize. This was Bob Geldof telling them when they were recording Live Aid or something. There's <laughs> going to be a bunch of cock-ups. Just like get it together. Aren't you glad I brought that context into this fun, fun game? I feel like this is like the Rosetta Stone, and I now can speak English. <laughs> if the British invade, I'm ready. Oh, good, good. Unfortunately, it's not. none of this is going to help us with name pronunciation. But let's get to the story. So I didn't do any academic research about the publisher or the book deal. or it, We don't think he had a ghostwriter. It seems that Andrew Ridgely is a good writer. Yeah, he's British. They're all smart. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Uh, but I can Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. Um, and it's from about the same time period, 2019. The Bard, the Bard of Wham. I'm putting my glasses on, but it's really hard with the, the headset. I have a yeah. lot going on. Don't have a cock up. Oh, good mm-hmm. one. Okay. So where are these- your knackers? <laughs> Let me adjust my knickers and then we'll get into the knackers. Please don't distract me. I'm trying to get focused here Okay. about the timeline of, so Andrew meets George is not his name. I think we all probably know that by now. George Michael's not his real name. His real name is Greek. And um, I'm going to give the gift to one of you to pronounce it. I think it's Yorgos. Yorgos Kyriakos. No, there's a pun to use or something. This is good. This is, we're off to a good start. I'm not walking into that one. Okay. So I'm out here alone, but we can just call him Yog because that's 
Yog. That's kind of a British nickname. That's what Andrew called him, right? Yog. Yeah. Yog. Yog. <laughs> My arthritis is acting up. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> so this is a beautiful book about friendship. And what makes this perhaps different than some of the other memoirs that we've read is not only the good writing, but also the author's humility. Um, he's very honest and very humble. And he's got a great sense of humor about himself. And he doesn't take himself nor the whole progression of their rise to fame too seriously. It starts with this really sweet dedication. The memoir is dedicated to the memory of my dearest friend with whom I did the only thing I ever really wanted to do and was the only person I ever imagined doing it with. That really shows and shines throughout the whole book. It's a tale of yeah. friendship. I listened to this on audio and I loved it. I guess because they're somewhat older than we are, but it was that same era like when they were graduating from high school, this is what they wanted to do. And they just did it. And that has been so fun to read about because I knew them. They're already an established band, obviously, and I loved them. But just like how two kids, this is what they wanted to do. They were united in their love of music. They loved many of the same rock stars like Freddie Mercury and Elton John. So yeah, they were teenagers when they met. And they weren't even 20 by the time their superstardom was cresting. They were very clear from the beginning that this youthful sound, what they were doing with Wham was for the kids and by the kids. And they knew it wasn't going to last. They felt it was important not to overstay their welcome. And it really was Andrew Ridgely who was so determined to have the band. They both were, so, you know, first generation Brits there, but they both had immigrant fathers who, and especially George Michael's father was really strict, really wanted him to join the family business. And it was Andrew originally was really the driving force. Their first band was a ska band. They loved all kinds of music. Yeah. So the friendship piece is beautiful. What you're talking about, just watching somebody's dreams come true so bravely is amazing. Um, Wendy, what sticks out for you as you were reading this book? I, I thought it was phenomenal to finally hear the story from Andrew because he's almost been the punchline for years as the silent member of Wham. He didn't sing really. I'm not quite sure he actually played guitar. So he was, you know, teased about that as being the second banana, didn't get the respect that George did. So it was really gratifying to read him talk about how he was the impetus for getting George to join the band. I thought that was wonderful because I'd never heard that before. And instead of being a hanger on, he was the driver of all of this, uh, the, the band. And George was so talented, he probably would have gotten there at some point. But he needed somebody to be the hero in the corner saying, get out there, we're going to do this together. And, you know, for that, even if he has done nothing else, that's his legacy, that he was the one that helped bring George Michael into the world. And even though George Michael became the clear talent, nobody knew that going into it. And I think that's a really cool part of the story is like, he ended up with a voice on par with a Freddie Mercury or an Elton John. And I certainly didn't appreciate that at the time. But part of it is it didn't start out that way. Like he 
really worked so hard and grew his voice and grew his musicianship and his songwriting. And it was really refreshing to see this best friendship and Andrew Ridgely being like, I never could have competed. And I didn't feel bad about that because so few musicians could compete with them. Yeah, exactly. And he he has no bitterness. No bitterness. And, and so many former band members, they weren't the guy that made it big, are bitter. And there was none of that in this book, just love. And I love how at some point he said that the two of them, George and Andrew, decided that George would write everything, would do all the writing. And Andrew said he retired from song age 20. And rather than be envious of George's talent, he felt a lot free of creative pressure and partying a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's that's friendship. That's why we're going to have Wendy take over all the editing (laughs) of this podcast, because she clearly has the talent. Yeah, you can go party. Yes. And we're going to get her some Fila shorts and a crop top. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about Shirley and D, and then eventually Shirley and Pepsi, because I completely forgot they existed. Anyone else? Am I alone? I didn't even know Andrew existed. Okay. (laughs) I was just like, it was just George and the supermodels and freedom. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that they were known in America, probably more so in the UK, but they were always in the background dancing. So I never really considered them part of Wham. I thought they were just on stage with Wham. Shirley was like their best friend. And I love the details of George being at a babysitting job and they were practicing their choreography in the basement. I mean, this is so relatable to 1980s kids and what we did for fun. An interesting detail about George and how exacting he was. He preferred for many years that they lip sync to a backing track instead of perform live because he was so upset if there was one tiny thing wrong. And it's just shocking to me. They talk about one time the backing track started too early. So it was obvious, but it's so fascinating to me that that felt more safe for him than being called out for lip syncing. And Andrew, again, there's no bitterness with him about that. Like, oh, he was such a diva. He needed it to be this way. He was just happy to be there. And I think he felt that he made contributions, but I think he's also realistic about it. You know, when he talks about, oh, I was supposed to be in the legendary iconic recording of Do They Know It's Christmas, but I was sleeping in that day and I didn't make it and I ignored the message. He missed the facts. That is an epic story. And let's be honest, the one thing that got to him over the years was George and his hair. Yeah. George is preening of his hair and bringing in his sister from across the country and faffing about with his straightening iron when he should have been, you know, (laughs) that was the only issue. Speaking on that note, though, it was interesting to hear him talk about how George was self-conscious of his looks and his weight and his hair and glasses and all of that, which knowing what George Michael was like for the majority of his career, he was the epitome of self-confidence. I mean, he was gorgeous and owned the stage. So it was kind of refreshing to know that he also had an awkward preteen time like everybody else. I'm still in mine. And it was really poignant because what we know is that confidence was a persona who was George Mm -hmm. Michael. And he talked about that George Michael is a persona. And we all know now how much he was struggling with having to be in the closet and have this 
constant celebrity and have his personal life constantly being asked about and not being able to be honest. And it was a very sweet coming out story when he came out to Andrew Ridgely and it was with Shirley, their good friend. And, and Andrew wasn't surprised and it, it wasn't a big deal. And they all just kind of moved forward. Mm -hmm. At my notes and it said that George Michael has said in interviews that he based the character of George Michael on a friend and Andrew didn't know who it was, but thought that it may have been him. And I thought that was so interesting because they were so close like, how could he not know? Maybe how? He is so, he's so humble. I mean, and he was, I mean, Andrew originally was like very obviously a good looking teenager, even though he himself didn't feel that way. You can imagine how if he's the one, the driving force of the band and you can see how George initially felt in his shadow. It's, it's really interesting and it's very sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very sweet. Um, so really their breakthrough was they at the very last minute get on the top of the pop. So they had recorded a couple of songs. They had gotten this like really small deal through an indie label and their songs didn't do very well, didn't break the top 40. And then they get this last minute opportunity to be on top of the pops and it changes everything. Did you guys know what top of the pops was? Yeah. No, but I had context clues. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew what it was in, in that. I, I think it was in, in fact, I think I probably know of it because it was in the Elton John movie and the Queen movie mm -hmm. because it was such a, it, it, it's the equivalent of a comic in the United States getting on Johnny Carson way back when. That's like you've made it. Like your that's your rocket ship to success is after you've made that step. And did we have an American equivalent, like American bandstand or Soul Train? Like it didn't seem like those were dance shows. It didn't seem like those made or broke a star. And but were you aware of Top of the Pops like as a teen? No, absolutely no, not. No, no. Mm -hmm. And I my first thought is some show like on PBS that my parents watched something else pops <laughs> not that <laughs> the Boston pops was that maybe it? I don't know <laughs> that'll be another research project for another day so a couple other just like funny things is that so careless whisper was really like the thing that catapulted George from Wham into sort of the next phase of his career. And there was a joke that his sisters called it tuneless whisper. And a story that really shows George Michael's standards and his bravery was this whole story about how he had the opportunity to go recorded at Muscle Shoals with, with these like incredible classic musicians, like the highest caliber people. And I mean, long story short, he wasn't happy with the recording and re-recorded it. And to have the gumption at like, you know, he was probably like 20. That was astounding. I mean, Muscle Shoals, that's like Aretha. Iconic. And, and yeah. Like you, you agree to everything they say. So yeah, he was a very focused genius on that and he had the wherewithal he, he maybe didn't have the confidence in his looks or all of that but he had the confidence in what he thought was the music he wanted to make and it was another one of those beautiful friendship moments where he was like played it for Andrew Ridgely before saying 
what he thought and Andrew originally didn't like it either. And that was like the permission that I think he needed to honor mm-hmm. what his gut was saying. But I think one of my take homes of reading this, I had no idea while we were listening to Wham and listening to George Michael that he was a musical genius. I had no idea. I just thought he was like this bubblegum pop guy and I didn't take it seriously. And this really gave me new eyes. And then also going back and listening to a lot of the music over again, he was in incredible vocalist incredible and yeah so that just really really surprised me and he and and how much elton john and others revered him as Mm -hmm. well they revered him and they gave him opportunities like elton john to bring him on stage at live aid to sing elton's song which elton doesn't just do that with anybody i mean that's crazy so yeah go ahead what kind of surprised me about this book, like after I finished it, I was thinking how they it didn't talk about AIDS a lot. And that was really going on like during this whole time that they were coming up in the world. There's and like two men- one quick mention of mention, concern, yeah. but it's it's more gone into in some of the documentaries that I watched. And it's really heartbreaking because George Michael finally finds love. He waits a long time for it. And they were to he and his partner were together for I think maybe ten years, but then his partner dies of AIDS, and it's devastating. But that's before the- he was out, I think, too, right? Like he couldn't even be public and grieve because he was still not out, not out as a gay man. I can't remember that part. I think um, he was outed when he was arrested in Beverly Hills. I think that spurred it, which is an awful way to be outed. But do you remember that? It was a huge That story. I don't remember that. Okay, so they don't cover it in the book. It's in the documentary. It's maddening. It's pure entrapment. And George Michael speaks to that even at the time. Like, part of our culture is cruising. And yeah, if you're going to entice me and then arrest me, like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, where where's the just... Who's, who's doing the crime is kind of how we put it. And it was exactly right. You know, right. who's inf- who's inflicting the damage? If you're going to set me up and lure me in. Ugh. How much of this memoir do you think it's just his story about George Michael as opposed to a memoir about his own life? Like, it seems so focused on George Michael. And I guess if you are in a band with George Michael, I'm going to try to say his name as often as possible. It's it's hard to write about yourself separately. But I, I felt like I read more of a book about his friend than about him. I think the subtitle says it all. He's last. Wham, George Michael and me. Except for the race car driving, that was new. All of it was new. I knew nothing about Andrew Ridgely. And I feel like we learned a lot about his young life, but then uh, nothing except for the race. Nothing else. Yeah. 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 And he's married, has been married. I don't know if they're still together to a member of Bananarama. I think he's done a lot of charitable acts from what I could learn from Google. Well, they even did have that charitable spirit early on. If, If you watch the documentaries, read the book, especially in the documentaries, George Michael, well, he was obsessed with number one songs, obsessed. And he created Last Christmas to get a number one song. And then the timing was terrible because it just came right at the same time as Do They Know It's Christmas. Eventually, he got his number one 
you know, after he died. Do they know it's Christmas was a big fundraiser for the Ethiopian famine. They too decided to donate proceeds from last Christmas to the Ethiopian famine, which had to be a lot of money. And, you know, they weren't making a lot of money for a long time. As we are finding out about so many artists of our youth, they got screwed and they got screwed relevant to the strikes right now. Like the people at the very top, you know, the writer strike and the actor strike, the, the people at the very top were making tons of money and the artists, not at all. No. And the proceeds, it's the proceeds of last Christmas in perpetuity. So that's got to be 10, 20 million. I don't, I don't know how record receipts work, but I, yeah, that was a very gracious thing to do at such a young age. Mariana's cat just weighed in, but unfortunately the cat wasn't mic'd. So you're going to have to wonder. (laughs) George Michael received a very prestigious award called the Ivor Novellos, which is a songwriting award from the songwriters themselves rather than the record company or the public. And it was such an emotional moment for him. He felt validated. His friend, I mean, Andrew Ridgely was so moved seeing him win this award and it meant more to him than anything maybe that would follow. But also it was just this moment before his own solo career kind of took off where everything was still really new. And Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, the Wham itself was only like three years. It went by really fast. They did three big albums, They did this tour in China, which is fascinating. And they had a documentary. Do you guys remember seeing any of the footage from the documentary? No. I think they're in one of their videos. It's them sitting on the wall of China. Yeah. I think I saw that. But in one of the, that Wham! documentary on Netflix, the China part is so long. We're like, how long were they there? Were they there for a year? Because And then nothing amounted to it. They talk about how it was like just the wrong, it was like this very serious documentary, like filmmaker, and they just focused on sort of the authoritarianism feeling and the sort of the political feeling versus like these, the youth energy and whatever. They talk about that. That's kind of fascinating. The whole thing is fascinating that they went to China. And they had to and play the, for people who weren't allowed to like clap and cheer. And they saw someone get taken away who did. I mean, it's pretty chilling. Yeah, that was at the time, I guess I didn't think too much about it. But reading back, it's like, why? Like, they didn't want to go to America, I think they said. Like, if the oh. choice was either to go tour in America or go to China, and they picked China. Maybe I read that wrong. There was something interesting, of course. There's no way I'll remember it now. But what I do want to share with you are the communist lyrics for Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Oh, yeah. Oh, and and Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go was a note that Andrew had left for his mom, like by accident, doubled Go-Go. And then George Michael saw it and saw a song. I mean, I love there's a lot of little tidbits like that in the book that are really fun. That his mom or his sister? Oh, I'm see, I bet it's his sister. I, I would bet more money any day on a detail out of your mouth, Mariana, than anything oh. I would say. <laughs> out of my arthritic mouth. Yes. Arthritis. From your arthritic mouth to God's ears. Okay, so here are the lyrics rewritten with a distinctively communist flavor. Wake me up before you go go. Compete with the sky to go high high. <laughs> Wake me up before you go go. Men fight to be first to reach the peak. 
wake me up before you go, go. Women are the same journey and will not fall behind. Isn't that an amazing <laughs> ring to it? You can just sing right along, can't you? And then George takes the shuttlecock out of his pocket and sticks it down his shorts and throws it into the crowd like he does in the concert. I'm dancing in my seat already. <laughs> I think the one That's piece so of like, it's regret's not the right word, but Ridgely does talk about um, George Michael's decision that the end of Wham! would be one concert and one concert only. And Andrew originally might have preferred to do a tour and really savor the end of this band. They were in total agreement that they didn't want it to live on. But and Andrew originally makes it very clear he understood why it had to be this way for George Michael's mental health, because he was just unraveling with this duality of this persona versus, you know, the crushing experience of being in the closet. But I really felt for him because that was the end of Andrew Ridgely's trajectory, he he never wrote a song. Oh, no, there was a brief solo career. Did anybody look that up no, or listen he, to it? No. He had an album. And George actually helped out and sang backing vocals and helped rewrite a song on it. But even that didn't help. So did Andrew basically get lucky with his friend? I think, he made his, his, I think he made his friend lucky. I don't think there would be a George Michael if it wasn't for Andrew Ridgely. Maybe that's an overstatement, but he was, he felt so much pressure from his parents at such a young age. And like what you were talking about earlier, it's the fact that they grabbed onto the stream and went with it. And I feel like that was, I really get the impression that was Andrew Ridgely. He was the driver of it. And George had so much pressure from his dad to go to university and do like a normal life. And I think. George would have stayed doing that for a lot longer. I think he would have found his way to music eventually because he's just a genius and it would have happened, but I don't think it would have happened as easily and as fast if he hadn't had Andrew as his driver and muse. There for sure wouldn't have been a wham because it all came out of, I mean, they were 50-50 collaborators for a long time. You know, they came up with their name of the band from the lyric they had written together. I mean, it was all terrible early on. Like I, and hilarious, like the wham rap, if you could see my air quotes, it is a trip. I know, I know all of those words. I could do it right now. Please do. I'm not going to, but I could. Oh, I bet you don't know it. I do. (laughs) Hey, everybody take a look at me. I've got street credibility. I may not have a job, but I have a good time with the boys that I meet on down the line. I don't need you so you don't approve who asked you to there ronnie bobby ricky and mike if i love the girl who cares who you like it's right it's right in there with the the early rap the early days of rap from some white midwesterners i love the part where george tells his dad that this is what they want to do and his father says all 18 year olds want to be rock stars and george says "Uh, no all 14-year-olds to be rock stars. <laughs> like, we really want to be rock stars. So what are your closing thoughts about this memoir? Yay, nay, I, recommend it? I recommend it for any fans. I think you would be bored if you weren't a fan or at least well aware of Wham! back in the 80s. But I really enjoyed it. And I had also just watched one of the documentaries so it was fresh in my mind, but I thought this was a good companion to it. There was a little bit of repetition, but I no, I really enjoyed both the, both uh, the book and the documentary. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed it in 
in terms of nostalgia, I mean, for me, I know very little about music, but obviously a fan of um, MTV and that whole era. So for me, like artists just brung wholly formed from Zeus's head or something like that. So to see them as children and in development was really like a really neat, neat trip for me. But I also I don't know how much I wanted to see more of him when I read a memoir. I want more of the person, not just telling the story of the band. So I would really appreciate if he wrote something else. <laughs> I think you just articulated why it was hard for me to get into is I did feel like I was kind of reading a wiki, like a Wikipedia page. There were so many dates and there were really fun little you know, back scene stories. And I would recommend people read it first before the documentaries. I most appreciated the super huge print. So I didn't have to wear my glasses, the tons of <laughs> the tons of pictures, lots so of places pictures. to like take a pause, lots of pictures in no certain order that you pointed out, Wendy, and made <laughs> us laugh. And some of the captions on the photos were really funny um, about like what he was wearing or what he was doing. And he just has a great sense of humor about himself and a huge heart, and it really comes across. So thank you, Andrew Ridgely. He does. And going to your point, Mariana, I don't think he's a very deep, introspective person. I just, I don't think he ever has been. And I think he's not not hiding from it, but I just don't think that's who he is. He's just kind of happy, go lucky, sunshiny, and didn't really have a lot of uh, depths to dig into. And maybe I'm wrong, but I guess there are people like that that exist. He talked yeah. about how he spent a lot of his school years faffing about. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. Go ahead, please. You're going to say something before I... I, you know, I was just looking at my notes that I took on my phone in the notes app. And one of them says that George had been confused for Princess Diana. Do you remember that part or was I... No, that's oh, exactly yeah. what made... I swear <laughs> to God, that's exactly what made me think of Wendy because I've seen her perm <laughs> at the time, which looks both yeah. like George, Michael and Princess Diana. So I knew exactly yeah. why. We'll have to put that in okay. the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Show notes. Check out our show, show notes. notes. Don't exist yet. Definitely will. All right. I think that's any, any last thoughts, anybody? Listen to Wham to spend your weekend listening to Wham there. It's a really, it's a nostalgia trip, but they're still great songs. I, I still enjoy them. In fact, my 16 year old loves George Michael and Wham and he it started with last Christmas and oh, that, and it makes sense because I think it was just last year. It was within the last couple of years that it finally hit number one. So of course that's why he knows it. But one thing that cracked me up too, is I kept having to Google the songs because they'd be like, this was a huge number one breakout. And I had no recollection, but once I put the title in and heard it, I knew the song. I just didn't know the lyrics. Instantly, I didn't remember the right? title. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fun, mm -hmm. like sense memory thing. Yeah, it that's absolutely right. And it's so, so interesting. Andrew says that it gave permission for men to dance and and maybe some teenagers, too. Maybe, maybe just a few teenagers. Unfortunately, not the ones in communist China. <laughs> on, that, on that note, we will be back with another memoir. 
and we another? hope you join us. Another, another memoir. <laughs> S'il vous plaît. Adieu. Merci. Yes, Au merci. Plop. <laughs> Plop. <laughs> hey, everybody, take a look at me. I've got street credibility. I may not have a job, but I have a good time with the boys that I meet on down the line. I don't need you, so you don't approve who asked you to. Uh,